You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. Through a combination of solo episodes and interviews with some incredible guests, we bring you the insights and practical tips to create happier working environments for you and your teams. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague and leaving a rating or review on your favorite platform. So instead of saying, hey, I'm a recruiter, I love working here, you should come work here too. You can say, hey, I'm a recruiter, you shouldn't believe me because you probably think I'm biased, I work here, right? So don't take my word for it. Instead, here's our Glassdoor profile and indeed and comparably in Intersight and Kanunu, go see what people are really saying and form your opinion around that. And if you've set up your whole system where you're proactively asking for feedback, the numbers are gonna play in your favor. They're going to find more of the positive that's real. And we want the real. We have no reason to try to tell our employees to only write five stars. We want true, honest, genuine feedback, and then let that shine. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. My guest today is Matt Vance, and he's talking about all things related to employer reputation through feedback. So if you're looking to improve your employer reputation through internal as well as external feedback, definitely this is the podcast episode for you. On the note of feedback, I always love to get feedback on the Happier at Work podcast. You can reach out to me directly. You'll find my links on happieratwork.ie. You can leave a rating or review through Apple, Spotify or Google. It absolutely warms my heart when I receive an email or a notification to say that someone has left a positive review. And to be fair, they all have been positive, a positive review of the Happier at Work podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Stay tuned. I will do a synopsis of some of the key points. And today's episode is so, so practical. You will want your pen and paper, uh, take some notes and you can start implementing what Matt is talking about straight away. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to get involved in the conversation on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on YouTube, wherever you are listening to this. Matt, I'm so delighted to have you on the podcast today, the Happier Work podcast. You really caught my attention because after a long day of driving around the Ring of Kerry when I was on my holidays, I received a lovely notification from Google that someone called Matt Vance had left me a review about the podcast on Google. And I thought, wow, who is this guy, Matt? You later reached out on LinkedIn. We connected. We had an amazing conversation. And I absolutely love your story. So do you want to introduce yourself to listeners? Let them know a little bit about you, your background, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Eva. And, you know, I figured I'm all about reviews. So that's the best way to start a conversation. Absolutely. And I've seen your podcast. We feature it on our company's website as, you know, one of the top premier company culture podcasts out there. And so having the chance to connect with you is definitely a privilege. But yeah, I, I got my start in the world of online reputation in 2014. I started working for a manufacturing business that made pillows, mattresses, bed sheets, everything to sleep comfortable. I was on the online operations department and was told that I'm in charge of reviews. It was a pretty kind of vague, abstract position. But over several years, I ended up developing some 
ways to optimize customer feedback and product reviews to sell product better. And then I ended up transitioning over to realizing that the same way that you could optimize customer feedback and product reviews to sell more product, you could do the same thing with employee feedback, employer ratings on sites like Glassdoor and Indeed and in the UK, Kanunu, um, to win Best Place to Work awards, strengthen your culture and increase employee engagement. So that was kind of the career change along the lines. I actually wrote a book, this one that you can see behind me on the shelf. It's called The Review Cycle. And it's all about optimizing reviews because really online reviews is a feedback loop, but it happens to be a public feedback loop, an external feedback loop that everyone can see. And so it has some very unique nuances of how to manage that feedback loop, how to optimize it, and how to get it to create value for your business. I love that. Uh, I love the idea that it's a feedback loop, but it's actually in it's in the public domain, essentially. So if I think of reviews, I mostly think of Glassdoor, to be honest. Like, But how many people actually use Glassdoor before starting an organization or how many people believe what they read? Any of those sites, you know, it's hard sometimes because if someone's so set on working in a particular organization, even if they read something that's a bit negative, maybe they think that they don't want that. And I'm thinking in particular, actually, and this is nothing work related, but uh, there was a, let's say a negative review. I don't want to scare people and go into too much detail about it, what it was, but it was a, there was a negative review about a hostel I was staying in when I was traveling around around the world and the review had been from maybe four or six months prior so I thought they must have sorted out that situation by now so no problem anyway lo and behold I stayed in the hostel that night and the same issue that they had had previously that someone had written a review about existed I'll leave it up to your imagination and if people want to get in touch and find out specifically what was wrong feel free to do so but it is it's that it's that idea of, of you know reviews being in the public domain and I think of the likes of Amazon when you can see the star rating and Glassdoor as well you can see the star rating and then specific feedback about CEOs and and managers and things like that how as a company can you manage that let's get right in there into the into the meat well, a couple things before like answering that question directly to kind of lay the foundation here. Sure. Like, the experience that you had with that hostel, it obviously wasn't resolved. Someone had said something about it. But I imagine because you read that review, you may be a little bit more um, sensitive in looking for that issue as well. I've seen that many times where reviews almost become this self-fulfilling prophecy. Speaking with another product example, when I was in the pillow mattress world. Um, Sometimes we would launch a new pillow. And when a new pillow arrives, it has a little bit of a chemical smell because it just came from the factory. It does. So you you get one negative review right at the beginning that says, I smelled this pillow, it smelled horrible. And the next thing you know, there's a string of reviews that's saying, you know, someone mentioned this smell. And the first thing I did when I got this pillow is I smashed my face into it. Sure enough, I smelled something, right? (laughs) So they're looking for it because of what they found in the reviews. And the same thing can happen with company culture and employee reviews. That's why it is critical that you take a proactive approach to optimizing and managing that feedback instead of just taking this, well, it is what it is. It's this byproduct of how we are. I've had leaders, um, executives, even a, a CHRO, um, respond back to me after we'd been talking about reputation. And he ba- basically said, you know, we're just going to lead with goodness, do good things. 
and hope that the goodness follows. Well, when it comes to sharing reviews, it doesn't really work that way. Like most people, there's this, I talk about this in my book, there's this law called the law of self-selecting extremes. And when you don't ask for feedback, all you get is the polar opposites, the people that had a way positive or a way negative experience that are willing to go out of their way to share. Their experience was so strong to one side or the other that they find where they should share that feedback. But if you make it easy to share, you invite people to share, you lower that barrier to participation, and you get a more representative sample of what people are really experiencing. You you kind of unlock this silent majority, and I've seen it over and over again. I've actually never seen ratings decrease on any use case, whether it's an employer, a product, a brand. I've never seen ratings decrease from proactively asking for feedback. It always lifts ratings because those people that are just satisfied, they, their experience wasn't strong enough to get them to go out of their way to share. You have to go to them. And that's really how you shape perceptions in a, a more positive way. You allow everyone to see a more representative sample of what the true experience is. I love that. Yeah. And it makes total sense. And I, when you said the law of self-selective extremes, I was kind of like, oh, wow, that sounds like something I've never heard of. But when you said what it was, I was like, oh, yes, I, I know absolutely about that. So if you have a terrible experience, you know, maybe in building on that, when you have a really terrible experience, you're more likely to tell more people. Isn't that the case? As opposed to if you've had an amazing experience, you might write a review, let people know, but but you tell more people if you've had a negative experience than if you've had a positive experience. 100%. You nailed it, Aoife. And every company that we've ever done a, a reputation audit for of their company culture, that's typically what we see is companies that are doing nothing or taking very little action to care about their online reputation. They're suffering from the negative side of the law of self-selecting extremes. And they typically have a very underrated company culture for that exact reason. They're they're taking no action. They're not inviting employees to leave feedback. And consequently, they, they have a lower score than they could have if they were taking a proactive approach. That's really interesting. So for anyone who's listening today and you want to increase your score on the likes of Glassdoor or whatever type of, of employee review platform that your employees might use, then first step is to actively proactively seek out that feedback. Yep, definitely. It seems obvious when you say it like that, but why are more people not doing that? Well, I that's a good question. And a lot of what I hear from people is they don't know. First of all, they didn't know that they can ask. A lot of people assume that it's against the rules somehow, which is not the case. As a company, you have every right to ask for employee feedback on sites like Glassdoor, Indeed, Comparably, and more. And you should... But I would also say there are a couple of things you shouldn't do. Um, number one, you should not incentivize reviews. You should not give away any type of reward, whether it's monetary or experiential or not, like nothing, because um, that's against the terms of service of most of the platforms. And if you were to incentivize it, even if it was allowable, you would have to have a disclosure of material connection, at least in, in America. According to the Federal uh, Trade Commission, there has to be a statement in the review that says, I received this in exchange for my feedback. And if that statement isn't in there, that's actually illegal to incentivize a review. So that, that kind of 
ties over, you see things like that that apply more to the product review world. But then I would also say just a couple of quick tips on asking for reviews. Do not ask for them all at once. Think about this from a consumer standpoint. Let's say you sent an email blast to your entire company and 100 people write a review all in the same week. But then before that, there was like... That looks very dodgy. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing happening on your profile before. All of a sudden, there's this huge spike in 100 reviews. And then there's like radio silence after that. Well, the BS radar is going to go off. It doesn't yeah, look natural 100%. because it's, yeah, yeah. it's not. Like, would you buy a product that had 100 reviews that were all written in the same week a year ago? And that's all that you can see on, on the listing. Like, it feels off, right? So even though that's not illegal, you totally can do that. It's fine. It doesn't feel good. It looks manipulated. And so you want to have an ongoing flow of review requests, almost like a, a drip, right? You're just continuously asking a small percentage of your employees on an ongoing basis. And uh, the best way to do that is on repeat. Another huge thing that I see is most companies don't know that you can leave a review more than once. Oh. You can write a review once per year. That applies to Glassdoor, Comparably, and Indeed. Those three sites, you can leave a review once per year. In her site, which is one of my favorite platforms, it's it's kind of like Glassdoor, but for female friendliness in the workplace and is um, targeting the female demographic for lots of different elements of the employee experience that you can rate and evaluate companies on. Um, they allow you to leave a review once every three months. In my opinion, that's a little too much. So I stick to the every 12 months, you can ask employees for a new review. So if you're running a program like this in-house, it requires that you need to track when you ask which employee to review on which site so that you know when you can ask them again. And that's how you're going to maximize the volume of reviews you can get, which is the number one way to keep ratings high and also to be eligible for best place to work awards. So... Glassdoor, Comparably, and Inhersight all have some pretty prestigious best place to work awards that are all awarded based on quantity of reviews in the past 12 months. They have a window of time where they're looking. You have to hit the minimum number of reviews. And then they look at quality of reviews, both in ratings and the actual content. I'm sure they're using some AI to do some sentiment analysis of the actual text, both for um, polarity and sentiment as well. Yeah, so you want to qualify for those awards because they're huge. Like the first company where I started this effort at, within our second year, we won eighth best place to work on Glassdoor in the small medium list, which is out of over a million employers. So you think about like you're in like the top 0.001% of employers, and all of a sudden you have this national award, like everything changed. Like the perspective of the employees inside the organization was just like everyone was walking around the halls going like, holy cow, I work for a top 10 best place to work in the nation. Like all of a sudden, I mean, nothing changed. It was the same company the day before, but all of a sudden everyone's saying, wow, this is a special place. Like, man, everyone's going to want to work here. So I better do a good job at my job because other people are going to be knocking on the door. And sure enough, our application rates grew from about 20 to over 100 for every job that we posted. Some jobs were getting over 300. And this is well before COVID. This was 2018. So we didn't have the crazy volume of applications that we're 
um, coming from layoffs. So like talking to other companies around that time period, we were getting exponentially more applicants um, just as a result of that. We ended up winning seven more awards about the next year, 18 months or so, just because we were optimizing our reviews and a couple from some other surveys. But yeah, it really did become a self-fulfilling prophecy and it was driven primarily by employee reviews. Brilliant. I love that. And like, if I think of my own experience of leaving reviews, it was basically when I had a terrible experience at one organization and I wanted to let other people know and to save them from joining that organization. So I love this proactive approach of actually asking people. And I never would have thought that you would ask people when they're still working there. I always kind of assumed that it's after people have left an organization, that's the time that they leave the review, that it's it's only when they've left the organizations, they don't do it when they're still working there. So that's that's interesting, I think, just to, to learn that, that you can do that. Yep. You definitely want to be a little bit more proactive. And a side note on what you're saying about like the former employees, statistically, there are stats that Glassdoor has around this and comparably, on average, former employees will rate their employer a half star lower than current employees. And so speaking from the the company standpoint, it's definitely in your best interest to ask the current employees. I mean, sure, I 100% support asking former employees as well, but that's probably a one-time thing. You don't, I mean, the relationship ends and you're not going to, hey, three years ago, you worked here. Can you write a third review? Like, no, <laughs> you, you don't do that. But yeah. you can do that once per year with your current employees as, hey, your experience is changing on an ongoing basis. How's it been? Share your feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose I'm thinking, so that's kind of publicly for the likes of Glassdoor or some of the the other sites that you've mentioned. And I kind of feel like, oh, maybe this episode needs to be sponsored by Glassdoor, but that's a, that's separately. That's a separate conversation to have. The other thing that I wanted to ask was what about internally? So what can you do internally to kind of manage the information that you get back from those external sources or alternative kind of internal feedback loops as well? So a best practice would be to have internal feedback loops running simultaneously with your external feedback loop, right? So requesting reviews on Glassdoor, Indie, Comparably, and these other sites, that's one component of your employee feedback program. A best practice would be to have a once a year detailed in-depth engagement survey that goes into every facet of the employee experience. So you can benchmark year over year based on demographics and all these different experience drivers. I would also say that having an always on anonymous feedback or um, suggestion box is a second piece of your feedback program that should be there. You don't want that like connected to a request. You just need employees to know that it's there and they use it when something's top of mind to them. And then um, the third one is one-on-ones. That's a more personal, human component of employee feedback. And from multiple different organizations that I've worked with directly, I've seen that that's the number one driver of individual care and employees feeling connected to their manager and to the company. Now, if you have those at least those three internal feedback loops operating on an ongoing basis, the annual engagement survey, the suggestion box, always on suggestion box and one-on-ones, a lot of those hot topic issues that are negative are going to actually come through in those channels because there's existing trust. And it's going to 
protect your reviews, your employee reviews from some negativity. And one example of that is when I was working at one company right when COVID started, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknown, everything was new. And we had to take action. I was in the HR department at this point, managing employee feedback and company culture. And we had to make some changes. Some people didn't like the changes. Some people did. We ended up getting 26 negative submissions through our internal suggestion box that related to COVID in a very short period of time. In that same time period, we only received one review to Glassdoor that mentioned something negative. So because there were already there was already trust in the system of our internal feedback loops working, like we responded to every one of those suggestion box items, people didn't feel like they had to go share it publicly on sites like Glassdoor and Indeed. So if you have those internal and external feedback loops operating and you're really operating them right by following up with employees, responding back with what you're learning, uh, replying where you can, then it protects your reputation at the same time. I love that. I love that. For me, it's kind of almost an outlet that people have. So I think if you don't have that outlet internally, you might take to somewhere public to tell people about the terrible experience that you've had or that you're having or the terrible decision that management made or leadership made. But if you do have that outlet, if you're constantly seeking that feedback from employees that gives them that outlet to download and to vent and to say, listen, I'm not happy about this. And, you know, all of those really important things to do. I think back to when we had an anonymous box and this was, it wasn't an email. It was a physical box in the office and someone started, it was almost like, it's so hard to explain for someone who wasn't there. But basically what happened was, someone submitted a typed note because obviously they weren't comfortable going to their manager or they weren't comfortable speaking to someone about what was going on. And I think the request was for men to be able to wear short pants in the summer. And it was addressed. It was spoken about in the leadership team. You know, I was there, we were talking about it and the decision was taken that no, it's not appropriate. And if you're going out to clients, you can't be wearing shorts. And so we said, shared this at the, you know, we had a, a kind of a standing huddle and we shared this feedback. So the person received an answer. Lo and behold, again, a typed note. I'm not happy with this answer, you know. So it went into this cycle of them not being happy with the response. So rather than creating this place of trust where you can feel free to talk to people and to, share who you are and what it is that you're looking for. It created this divide and this almost comedy about the fact that it was being read out at this huddle and then the response was being shared at the huddle as well. After having had a discussion, I think there was maybe, um, it went on for three or four months with this kind of back and forward, but it just goes to show. And then it was winter. You don't even want to wear shorts. And then it's winter and the summer has gone already and it's it's not relevant. But I think then the point was made that, well, this will be relevant for next year when the sun comes back and, you know, all of those things. But yeah, like, you know, I think the main thing was that it went against the the dress code policy. I think that was the kind of the big thing. And then it, it gets you thinking of, well, is the policy out of date or 
Is it that we don't want people to be seen wearing shorts going into clients and, and things like that? But then why is it okay for women to wear dresses? You know, opened up this absolutely huge divide. But I suppose what I'm trying to say from this, and hopefully people get a little bit of a laugh about the situation, even though you weren't there, but that level of trust wasn't there because, you know, certainly in the time that I was there, there was engagement surveys, there was feedback being shared, but the top pain points of the employees weren't necessarily being actioned. So I think the really critical thing, and you alluded to it, Matt, is that once you ask those questions, they have to be about things that you can action. And you have to be shown to actually listen and take action on the feedback that you're getting so that it's not just a case of we're asking you questions about what needs to be improved. We're listening to what you're saying, but we're not doing anything about it. Um, any any thoughts to share on what companies can learn from situations like that? I've experienced something very similar to the shorts uh, <laughs> dilemma there. And actually, at one company, I was in charge of managing the suggestion box. And our V1, our first iteration of this program was posting every single suggestion that came through in the break room for everyone to see. We also posted it on the employee internet so everyone that wasn't on site could see it. And then we would respond to it from a company standpoint. Well, what we realized is by doing that, we were inadvertently creating a podium of negativity. Okay, yeah. For people to say, hey, I have this problem and I'm going to go stir the pot. I'm going to create some drama and I'm going to you know, share this negative thing. And what we saw was it almost created this echo chamber of other people being like, oh, you're right. You said you hate the music in the bathroom. I hate it too. This is horrible. Like <laughs> even just something that, you know, silly or small. You have music in the bathroom? Now I want music in the bathroom. <laughs> we did at this uh, place yeah. and, you know, it was a good thing, except there were some very specific preferences of what you listen to in the bathroom. Okay. Which, yeah, it's a big deal, apparently. <laughs> um, but Later on, we ended up taking a different approach to the suggestion box where we responded. We used some software to do this. We responded directly to the person. So we had some software that maintained anonymity. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. it went through a third party, um, but we were able to respond to the submitter. And what that did is we were able to address the concern in a comfortable, confidential, private way to the individual that had the concern instead of broadcasting it to everyone and creating unnecessary drama and even introducing the idea to others that maybe they should be dissatisfied with whatever it is this person is concerned about. Now, we would be very purposeful in showcasing positive change. So we would summarize, hey, we received X number of suggestions in the past quarter or the past month. And here are all the ones that moved to implementation. And then we would share those. We would say, here was the suggestion, and here's what we did about it. And then we would also broadcast in our report to employees that we had a 100% response rate. And sometimes the response was, hey, thank you for this. This is a complex submission or idea that you're sharing. I don't have an idea or I don't have a response immediately, but we're looking into it. The, the status of this suggestion has been moved to pending or researching, and we'll follow up with you when we have new information. So that way you can buy some time and still show a high level of responsiveness to your employees while not just 
letting your employees tell you what to do either. Like you need to be realistic with business constraints and the direction of the business. And sometimes when the answer is no, it's all about packaging that no in a very caring and way that shows that you validate the concern, you listen to it. It was handled with a great degree of interest and concern. And you encourage them to continue sharing ideas and feedback because that's how we grow collectively as an organization. And if you have a pattern of doing that, responding quickly, taking every suggestion seriously, even if it is about music in the bathroom or the dress code, if we can wear shorts, what that does is it increases the level of trust in the employee to employer relationship. So when there is something of even higher concern, both negative or positive, like you want to capture those really innovative, creative ideas as well, or something really bad that could turn into a a legal issue like harassment or something like you want to maintain trust for the extremes because those really matter. It matters to address the small things as well. I mean, those little small things help to build that trust that allows you to foster trust at that kind of bigger scale, I think. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Matt, anything else to share in relation to maybe this process or any insights from the book that you'd like to talk about? So the name of my book is The Review Cycle. The Review Cycle is also the name of the model that I developed. It's a consumer behavior model that has four steps and it's a cycle it repeats. And essentially, it starts the first phase is consideration. We consider a decision, whether that's to purchase a product, to visit a hostel, to change jobs and start looking for a new employer. That's step one, consideration. Step two is engaging with OGC, organizational generated content, branded content that the company or the brand is publishing about themselves or their own product online. We see the profile on Glassdoor. We see a product listing on Amazon or something like that. That's engaging with the OGC and you're you're learning about the product or, or the company or the brand. Step three is if we like what we see, like, oh, this is a cool company, we want to validate our decision with UGC, user-generated content. That's when we look to the reviews, we watch unboxing videos, we check social media, we see what other people are saying about this product, this brand, or this employer. And if it checks that box. We feel that other people you know, validate this is a good selection. Then we move on to purchase the product, to visit the restaurant, visit the hotel, or apply to the job. That's the purchase decision. And then phase four is the post-decision phase where we actually have a lived experience with the product, with the brand, with the company if we're hired or we go through the, you know, the hiring process. And at the end of phase four is when we have the right to ask for a review. When we ask for that review, it changes the landscape of what the next person finds as they go through that same process. And so the the whole premise of the review cycle is you have this ever-changing landscape of user-generated content online. And as you're aware of the decisions that your consumers or job seekers are going through, you can be purposeful in influencing those behaviors for your own good and for your own gain as a business. In the book, there's one chapter dedicated to each phase of the review cycle. And I talk specifically about elements of influence. And so there's an inner circle of this four-phase cycle of what you can do 
to directly affect the behaviors at each of those four phases. So you actually work through this backwards. So the last phase, post-decision, the element of influence is asking for reviews. That actually fuels every other action you can take. We need volume. We need as many reviews as we can get. The name of the game is increasing our review rate. And that alone is one of the biggest drivers of strengthening our ratings, increasing sales, increasing application rates. The next one is in conjunction with engaging with user-generated content. That's responding to reviews. We want to showcase the level of care that we have for our customers or our job seekers or even to our employees as we're responding to employee reviews on sites like Glassdoor. And that becomes a showcase piece where other people seeing that interaction gain perspective of how they could be treated if they were in a similar situation. And so we want to be very deliberate. It's a very specific niche form of written communication that's highly persuasive and needs to be taken care of very strategically. And and I have an entire chapter. I've written over 2,000 pages worth of review responses. And I've got a very dialed in approach of how to, to do that. And then the third one is we want to harvest insights. So as we learn from our reviews, harvesting insights, learning what people love and don't love about the experience we're providing, whether it's employee experience, customer experience, that helps us reverse engineer our product. It helps us change the way we shape our experience. And it also informs our marketing. The information that we share on our Glassdoor page about why someone should work from us, those top five reasons should 100% be the top five things people are actually saying they like about us, not the top five things one manager or the CEO thinks that people love because he or she may or may not be right. But if you let the entire sum of your employee voice tell you, and you just see statistically, like most of our reviews are mentioning this thing first, this thing second, flexibility, you know, and paid time off, career development, whatever those top things are, those are your company culture advantages that you need to showcase. And as you showcase them on your career page, you're attracting people to work for you for the right reasons. You have confidence that if people are coming to you because they're trying to achieve that work-life balance that your employees are saying is going really well, you know that person you hire is more aligned and more likely to stay longer and be satisfied because they were attracted for the right reasons. And then the very last one is a top of funnel, right? Step one was consideration. We're at the very beginning of the decision-making process. The correlating element of influence is marketing with reviews. Anything we ever say about ourselves and our own companies is considered bias because we have something to gain. And there's studies around this, but user-generated content has exponentially more trust and influence. So instead of saying, hey, I'm a recruiter. I love working here. You should come work here too. You can say, hey, I'm a recruiter. You shouldn't believe me because you probably think I'm biased. I work here, right? So (laughs) don't take my word for it. Instead, Here's our Glassdoor profile and indeed and comparably in Intersight and Kanunu. Go see what people are really saying and form your opinion around that. And if you've set up your whole system where you're proactively asking for feedback, the numbers are going to play in your favor. They're going to find more of the positive that's real. And we want the real. We have no reason to try to tell our employees to only write five stars. We want true, honest, genuine feedback and then let that shine. And the smaller degree of negative actually increases authenticity and influence of the positive. 
But if we select a review or some stats around our reviews, like total number of five stars since COVID, or percentage of reviews that mention flexibility positively, like those are the types of stats that we want to shine a light on because it's the voice of the online community saying we're awesome instead of us saying we're awesome. And so those are really the four steps of the review cycle. And it's also on Kindle and Audible for people who just like to, you know, listen or digital only. And yeah, so it's there. Brilliant. Love it. And what you were saying about the response to the user-generated content, you know, all I'm thinking is the opposite of what you should really say is, well, we never want you to come back to this restaurant anyway, or <laughs> you're a terrible worker, you know, and this is in the public domain for other people to see. And I know certainly when I see things like that on Google, it's really off-putting. So I love that you have a very specific approach to how to phrase that in such a way that it's like, thank you so much for this valuable feedback and we'll take it on board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure what else you say, but also harvesting the insights and taking on that feedback to inform your marketing efforts. So don't take my word for it. Here's what everyone else is saying, but actually really using that. And I suppose for me, I love to make this so practical and there's been so much practical tips in this. If someone wants to get started for the first time, if they're not doing this currently with their organization, maybe they have an internal annual engagement survey, but not really doing anything with the results. What would you say is the first step that people can take to to start going down this road? I'm glad you asked that, Aoife. It's a great question. It's one of the most common questions I get. Where do you start? A lot of companies that have internal feedback already happening, they already have this wealth of data to lean on, which is great, but that's all internal. And it does not shape perceptions and it does not shape behaviors, right? Like say you have an incredibly strong history of a high net promoter score, NPS, like an employee net promoter score. That really is irrelevant because job seekers don't see it. Your employees likely don't see it. In some cases, it's shared. Your customers don't see it. And the general public doesn't see it. But what do they see? They see your star ratings. And especially for higher consideration purchases, employee reviews and ratings actually spill over to influencing buying behaviors of customers as well. Like imagine a home builder. You Do you want to know how that home builder treats the people that are going to literally build the house you're going to live in? Well, you might be looking at Glassdoor to see, do I want to use this home builder? Like, Do they treat the people that are going to be building my house nice? Because I, I want to make sure. So here's what I say in direct response to your question, Aoife, is you need to do an audit of your employer reputation. You need to understand where you are right now and draw a baseline so that you can document where you're starting from and then make a proactive plan to move forward. And the business that we're starting, we're one year in. It's called Mobrium. It's essentially the software version of the review cycle for employers to streamline every phase of the review cycle and collecting employee reviews, responding to them, learning from them and harvesting insights, and then identifying employee review stats to use in marketing. We do an audit. Um, that's a free service. So and if there's anyone that wants that, you just go to mobrim.com and you can request a free employer reputation audit. Um, to draw that baseline of where you're starting from. 
Absolutely love this conversation, really enlightening as well. And considering that we have spoken a couple of times prior to this, I'm still learning some new stuff from this and from the whole process of the review cycle. And I, for one, I'm really looking forward to, to reading the book and to learning more as well. And um, is there anything else that you would like to share before we wrap things up? No, just that, you know, to everyone listening, this is one of the best podcasts out there. Company culture, it's it's the gold standard. Like you may have other podcasts on your list, but this should remain at the top. The quality is impressive. And Aoife does an incredible job bringing in some a variety of perspectives to give you a wealth of knowledge about all different facets of helping your employees be happier at work. So I'm I'm honored to be here and grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. I feel really uh, shy and embarrassed and all the rest now, but thank you. I really, really appreciate that. I do try and make it the best that it can be from both from a guest experience as well as a listener experience. So you will have gone through the guest process. There's still more to go through now as well. So I do try and and make it that it's really high quality and always looking to improve and always looking for feedback on the podcast as well. The question I ask everyone who comes on is, what does being happier at work mean to you? You know, I was thinking, I knew you were going to ask me that question, Aoife, and here's my answer. I would say being happier at work is having a healthy level of comfort and discomfort. I love it. And I would say a healthy level of comfort, meaning there's psychological safety. You feel like you belong. You feel like you can be yourself. You feel welcomed, supported. But then a healthy level of discomfort, meaning you're challenged. You feel like you can innovate and be creative and push yourself to learn and grow and do things that you haven't done in the past. I think sometimes we focus too much on the comfort and, oh yeah, this is awesome. Like, well, work isn't a vacation. Like you should be learning, (laughs) you should be growing, you should be doing new things and pushing the envelope. Although no matter how much you push the envelope, it will still be stationary. I'll mention that. (laughs) I would say you need to be comfortable, but you also need to be uncomfortable in a way. Within the happier at work framework, I always talk about this idea of balance. And from a need satisfaction perspective, it's finding that right balance. And I think if you have the right balance in what you're talking about between comfort and discomfort. So in the context that I talk about it in, it's the difference between being complacent and bored in your role and being challenged to feeling sufficiently challenged, which is kind of the nice balance versus being overly challenged where you're stressed and maybe you feel like a little bit of a an imposter, you're in over your head. So I think in all types of scenarios, it is finding that balance and balance will be different for different people. It'll be different for you as an individual at different part, points in your life as well. So understanding and recognizing that and being able to identify it quickly, I think is is really important. Like I'm too feeling too comfortable here. I need to challenge myself a little bit more versus I'm feeling too challenged here. I'm a bit over my head and I need more support. So I love that you brought that perspective. Thank you. Matt, you've mentioned the name of your company already, Mobrium. So people head on over to check it out. I know you have another brilliant podcast, which I was also featured as a guest. So feel free to share about that and how people can connect with you as well. Yeah. Thanks, Ipa. Yeah. Our podcast is The Culture Prophet. My wife and I are the co-hosts. We're about 12 episodes in right now. We've got up to 20 episodes scheduled and some pretty incredible guests, including Aoife, which we're really excited to release that episode coming up. So 
Yeah, just check out the Culture Profit. And then our business, Mobrim, is your one-stop shop for strengthening and streamlining your employer reputation. Brilliant. Love that. Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. I always come away having learned so much from our discussions. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks. That was Matt Vance from Mobrium. And I hope you took so much information from that. I certainly took tons and tons of notes. Really, really interesting stuff. So let's dive into it. And I would love to get your thoughts. You'll find all of my social links on happyworkie So one of the first things that I found quite interesting was this idea of the law of self-selective extremes, which means that people, if they've had a negative experience in your place of work, they're more likely then to take to, I was going to say take to the street, they're more likely to take to those review channels and let other people know or try and warn them in advance of working in your organization. And so the reviews tend to be slightly lower on average than if you had proactively asked people who are still working within the organization. And I think one of the the big things to take away from this episode is that you can proactively ask people to leave reviews even when they're still working in your organization. And in fact, you need to have a strategy around how you're going to do that and keeping track of who has left a review and when they could potentially leave another review, like an updated version within a year, within three months, depending on whatever platform you're using. Matt mentioned as well about the prestige associated with whether it is winning an award or just increasing the overall rating that you're getting as an employer and therefore attracting better talent or attracting more applications so you have a wider pool of candidates to choose from. Matt offered three practical suggestions then for getting started. So that's having an internal feedback loop at the same time as you have your external. So we talked about some of the benefits of that, that that sort of absorbs some of the negativity that people can potentially post on the public forums if they know that you're taking action, if they know that you're going to do something about it. Number two then was the always on suggestion box. And we kind of had a bit of a laugh about some of the ways you can get that wrong in both Matt's experience and in my experience as well. So the ways to do that is to keep it anonymous and not necessarily share it publicly, but still show people that you're taking action on their suggestions. And Matt also had some great ways that you can say no in a polite way if it's not something that you can necessarily implement. Number three then was the one-to-one feedback. So the opportunity that every manager has to connect with each of their individual team members through one-to-ones and asking for feedback on how they feel they're, they're getting along and how the company is working out for them. Matt also shared about the importance of showcasing the positive change, so sharing what you're doing as a result of receiving feedback and doing that in a positive way. He also spoke, and I thought this was quite interesting, about there being a 100% response rate, even if you don't have a solution to every problem that it's underway or it needs additional information, whatever the case might be, you're still responding to that suggestion and therefore it's a 100% response rate. Matt shared about his framework, The Review Cycle, which is in his book, The Review Cycle as well. So I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail around that, but do go and check out the book. 
but I did want to touch on the elements of influence. And that is, first of all, asking for reviews. So it is the volume that you're getting. You need to proactively ask for those reviews and manage it in a strategic way. The next one then is responding to those reviews. So uh, being deliberate and, you know, Matt mentioned that there's a quite a niche way of approaching these, but you need to be in a persuasive way. And again, you know, it's not taking the attitude of, well, you weren't a great worker anyway. It's trying to put that positive spin. Thank you for your feedback, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure there's more information about that in the book. And then there was about harvesting the insights. So what people love and don't love, reverse engineering that and use that to inform your marketing about the organization. So the company culture advantage, what are people saying? Why do they stay there for longer? And how can you use that in your employer branding? If you're wondering after all of that information, what is the first step that you can take? And that is to audit your employer reputation. And you feel free to contact Matt. I will put all of his links below. And I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. And if you've made it this far, well done you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to today's episode. If you did enjoy it, please consider leaving a rating, a review or share it with a friend. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. And also, if you'd like to know more about how I can help you or your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.